0: The beer industry has changed. Brewers are pushing the boundaries of flavor and taste. Consumers are committed to trying anything at least once. It's the perfect situation for craft brewers to thrive. It's also the perfect situation for brewing with honey. Hi, I'm Allison with the National Honey Board. We help brewers just like you learn how to brew or how to brew better beers with honey. Want your beer to have depth and a complex flavor profile? Want a sweet finishing note on your holiday beer? Want to bottle condition your beers? Brew with honey. Flavor, function, and marketing are just the start of what honey can do for your beers. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Honey for Pros for technical research, brewing tips, and tricks for brewing with honey. That's honey, H-O-N-E-Y, the number four, pros, P-R-O-S, today. Cheers!
1: Hello, everybody. Um, Welcome to Craft Beer Professionals Panel Fest. Uh, We're doing the topic from beer and beyond, diversifying beverage offerings from the brew house. Uh, We have a collection of folks here from different segments that uh, hopefully bring some exciting information and uh, good discussion about the topic. Uh, I'm Don Marcel. I'm with Lotus Beverage Alliance, Stout Tanks and Kettles, um, and I'm here to moderate along with my colleague, Doug, uh, Doug Beatty, who is our technical service manager. Um, I'm going to go around real quick and let everyone else introduce themselves a little bit and uh, their brewery or their uh, metery, in this case as well. Uh, and um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your brewery and some of the different beverages that you're involved in. Um, I guess we'll start with Phil.
2: Hi, I'm Phil Coody, um, with Alacrity Brewing, and we do uh, contract and co-packing of beer, seltzer, kombucha, um, eventually uh, distilled spirits and wine.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Phil. Uh, Paul, do you want to, just because you guys are both associated, uh, go next?
3: Uh, Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Paul Medina uh, here at uh, Alacrity Brewing. I'm one of the founders and we do all the things Phil said we do.
1: Awesome. <laughs> all right. Um, I guess Matt, uh, looks like uh, Trayvon may have had a moment where internet okay. went up. so if you could take take over. Sure.
4: Uh, Matt Raymond with Etowah Meadery, Delonica Brewery. So we are a uh, brewery doing the classic beer styles as well as a meadery, which is making honey wine. So we do a co-location, um, we, we provide tap room, um, also distribution. Uh, we can self-distribute on the mead side. We have a distributor on the beer side, everything from light pilsners to stouts, um, all different kinds of beer styles. On the mead side, we do sparkling meads and also traditional meads. Nice,
5: Trayvon, you're up. Hi, hey, Trayvon, with uh, the washtalls or Washtall Brewing, uh, we initially started as a traditional coffee house and roaster uh, about five years ago. Uh, We've had the brewery up and going for about three. Um, We were initially a dry county brewery, um, which was super fun, but we've got all that fixed now. Um, Just built out our new brewery, which is in a separate location. Um, About to start canning, getting more in distro. Um, We do everything from coffees, waters, teas, lemonades, beers, you name it. If we can get our hands on it and do it, we do. Excellent. Thank you, Trevor. So um, what
1: we're seeing here is a lot of breweries that are getting involved in uh, multiple segments of the craft beverage market. uh, As beer continues to have a slight constriction and um, we have a new generation of of uh, drinkers that come in and are looking for different flavors, uh, looking for more exciting new beverages that they can experiment with. Uh, it's important to have these offerings in order to hit various segments of the market. So uh, with each one of you, I think I would, I would like to go real quick through, maybe um, find out if this was always part of the plan or if this is something that you, um, how it how it started, where you got involved in more than just beer and uh, kind of go from there. So uh, I'll do the same order that we had before. If you want to start up, Phil, that'd be great.
2: Sure. Um, My background is on the brewing side. I had my own company, uh, started in 2012 um, as a uh, contract brewer. We didn't have our own facility, so I knew that side of the equation. Uh, In 2016, I came on board at Speakeasy Ales and Lagers in San Francisco uh, about a year after it was purchased from Hunter's Point Brewery, and they had... um, Plans of keeping the speakeasy side as a production legacy brand. And the Hunter's Point brand um, was where I got to do more innovation and um, one off beers uh, that would be micro distributed and available only in the tasting room. And uh, it's a brewery that is about 75,000 barrels, 90,000 barrels of capacity. Um, and so they needed to. Um, tried to maximize that. So they brought on a bunch of contract band, contract brands. Um, and my experience of, of uh, dealing with, um, at one point, uh, our my original company had about nine contract partners. Um, so I knew that world pretty well. Um, they had me uh, recruit and, and bring in clients to, to help uh, Maximize the capacity here um, about in the May of this year, Alacrity took over um, with a new business model of not only continuing the, the brewing side of it, but bringing in uh, some of the hard kombucha, the non-alc com- kombucha, seltzers, spike tonics. Um, eventually, as I mentioned in the introductions, um, we're going to venture into uh, RTDs. So we need the distilling side uh, license um and then uh possibly natural wines um and interestingly uh this past week our california uh legislature passed a bill that is transferring the allowing breweries uh to use uh to produce um ciders now so they used to only be available to uh wineries in california uh but you know, as of, uh, January 1st and 24, we're going to be able to have no issues doing, uh, fruit ciders.
6: Excellent. That's great news. You said, uh, spiked beverages. Yes. What does that, what what does that entail? Well, it's uh, just like a lot of things it's
2: marketing. (laughs) Um, it's not, it's not like, um, as a brewery without a distilling license, we are not allowed to have hard alcohol, uh, um, Blended into a beverage. The, the client that uh, essentially is just a name, a spike tonic, is essentially um, a hard seltzer that is um, their whole uh, business model is using organic flavors um, and the presentation. And so on the label, they just chose um, spike tonics. Excellent.
1: All right, I'm going to keep this moving here. Paul, do you have anything
3: you want to add in there real quick or? Uh, Yeah, the only thing I would add is that, you know, when when Alacrity started, we started with uh, the idea of just doing uh, kombucha, this hard hard alcohol kombucha. And the word spread so fast, uh, we didn't have any marketing going. It was just word of mouth. And we were getting phone calls for just some very wild off-the-cuff, you know, products that all were in the, you know, same realm of that they're using bacteria or these things that, you know, traditional clean breweries are not the biggest fans of. And so when we started getting a lot of those phone calls, that's where the idea really came from of, of expanding beyond just one product type, like a beer or a kombucha, or even just the two of those and opening it up to kind of be a... Uh, a contractor co-packing facility that's open to all right and and finding a way to actually have that work because that's that's the real challenge excellent
1: thank you paul um matt do you want to pop in uh which came sure. first,
4: the meadery or the brewery uh, um it was a business uh choice we tried to, the original founder six years ago tried to do both at the same time but we're in georgia and the state of georgia is a little bit backwards and We could only get one of the licenses. So we got our farm winery license first. So the mead came first and the business plan was to always have the brewery, but it took Georgia two extra years to write the laws to allow us to co-locate a brewery and a meadery in the same spot. Hmm. So we use the same equipment for both of those products. Um, We're about half and half on the sales of the beer and the mead side. But um, because we're a meadery, we can put a lot of honey in our beer. We take the fruit that we make from the mead. And put that into beer, so we've got you know um, grape uh, skins on the on the beer, or I'm sorry, blueberry skins and peach uh, blue uh, beer that we can do. And We can kind of cross back and forth, um, making a braggot, for example, is one of the things. And so we're trying to get into what we're seeing is that the lighter, uh, maybe younger generation likes the the beer um, light. They don't like the heavy beers, so we'll probably get into seltzer soon. That's on there, but one of our sales is the sparkling meads. They're lightly carbonated, about 5% alcohol. Um, we are located on the Georgia Wine hi- Highway. So we get a lot of people from the big city in Atlanta or out of state, a lot of Florida travelers and things that want to try mead. So a lot of times it's presenting the mead to them and also having the beer available at the same location. So kind of got the best of both worlds, as well as nobody's left out. There's always something that somebody likes. Um, if some People don't like beer. Some people don't like mead, so we've got both of them on tap, uh, and it's worked out pretty well.
1: Excellent. So a little diversity there for the crowd, Correct. Um, yep. you know, especially when you have mixed groups. So um, great. Thank you, Excellent. man. Uh, Traven, coffee. You, you said that uh, initially you were Dry County. So uh, how did all this start? And maybe I might have lost Traven there for a second.
4: It looks frozen.
1: Yeah, I think I think he's been having some real tough thunderstorms out there. Um, So what we might do is just uh, uh, continue on and I might circle back in a moment. So, Um, all right. Well, that kind of talks about the plan as far as where some of these uh, uh, ideas of multiple beverages has started. Um, It seems like there's been a lot of positives that I'm hearing from from all of you about. On the brand image and customer reactions, but um, uh, direct feedback from the customers. Do you, do you have any that you'd like to share about that?
4: I'll, I'll go. I mean, we've had a lot of people that have never heard of mead, and so that's one of the first questions we ask is that are you familiar with it? A lot of times people will be, I, I have no idea, and we have to tell them it's just fermented honey, um, and then they like, is it too sweet? Like, no, we have sweet. We have dry. We kind of have to walk them through because they're not really familiar with the meat product itself. On the beer side, a lot of it's just, you know, training, um, teaching them what kind of beer styles are available. A lot of it just ask what's in their uh, beer cooler at home. And we've got something that usually matches them.
1: Yeah. Excellent. While I have Raven, we're going to go back to um, kind of the origins of of the brewery. And you said that at one point you were a dry County, uh, you got involved in coffee. What, 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 was the plan there?
5: Yeah, we, uh, so, um, initially we opened as a, just full coffee shop, coffee roaster, did traditional lattes, teas, um, espresso, things like that. Um, and then a bill got introduced in Arkansas that allowed microbreweries in a dry County as a private club restaurant, microbrewery um so we just kind of jumped all over that and ran with it and uh we had the space at the time so we're like yeah let's do it this will be great and uh we built out a 30 tap wall um added a kitchen on um you know eventually got that up and going after some fun loopholes and things um then we kind of outgrew that space added a new one Uh, now we do um large batch, cold brews, beers, hard lemonades. Um, We got a few people that come in and um, some locals that brew meads and stuff at home that come in and do larger batches on the um, seven barrel system with us. Um, We've just kind of slowly expanded and rolled into it. Uh, Just now we're getting, just got our cans and uh, canning line, fixing to start doing canned water uh, canned cold brew, several of our beers. Um, we already do like large batch, like cold lattes and things like that, that eventually will roll into cans and stuff. Um, but it just starting, it just kind of worked out, you know, it, at the right time and everything worked with us. So it's been, been fun and learning process for sure. Cause I knew the beer side of it from, But the coffee side, I had to learn that, learn how to somewhat learn how to roast coffee, but also like pulling traditional espresso shots on our slayers and things and, you know, making lattes and having them good and the same every time. And that's been, you know, the biggest part of our deal is trying to do the most consistent and elevated we can in every food and beverage that we do, you know, and trying to bring something excellent, something different to our area because we're the, the closest brewery or really coffee shop to us is about an hour and a half in any direction you go. So we're kind of out by ourselves. It's
1: it's nice to have
5: uh, a footprint there.
6: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you just, uh, you just got the canning line. Is everything that you've been selling up until now just on premise or do you distribute draft anywhere? Um,
5: Our our first few years was just on premise. Um, But once we, um, finally got the county to go wet. We've been distributing for about a year now um, with uh, the with distributor. So we've got, I think, close to 100 tap handles around the state now, and we just picked up a part of Oklahoma as well. Um, so it's just been draft currently, and we're hoping to roll out six packs and things like that starting in you know, the next week or two.
6: Does that uh, include coffee? Are you doing uh, just kegs of cold brew too?
5: Uh, We've done kegs of cold brew um, and done nitro systems, but we're going to be doing canned cold brew also and stuff like that. And then eventually potentially looking into like the can, like lattes and um, things like that. Just seeing kind of where we can go and what we can get away with.
1: All right. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I, I think going going around again, um, a quick question is just um, you have your initial equipment. What, what extra equipment did you need to get in order to do some of these? I know we have our standard brewing equipment uh, that is universal for a lot of breweries or, or for a lot of beverages. Sorry. Uh, mead, obviously, you can you can use a lot of uh, beer equipment and uh, cider. You can use a lot of beer equipment. Uh, what other? Uh, equipment has popped up that perhaps uh, came from these specialty craft beverages that you're doing. Uh, Phil?
2: Not necessarily any new equipment other than one major purchase, which was a tunnel pasteurizer. Um, But the equipment, or sorry, the beverages that we are currently uh, teed up to do uh, have not required us to get any more equipment. It's, It's a pretty... Uh, symbiotic with the traditional brewery, um, where you might need to, uh, pay attention to, um, as Paul alluded to earlier with the microbes and, and different bacteria that could be going through here is, is we have two canning lines we have, but we only right currently only have, uh, one kegging machine. Uh, so we can, we're looking at, uh, you know, another, um, washing, uh, keg washing machine, um, and for more of the microbe stuff doing uh, more gravity fills as opposed to using the uh, semi-automatic system. Um, and then eventually with the distilling uh, and possibly whining, uh, wine license, uh, that will take on a little bit more equipment depending on how, down, how far down the rabbit hole we go. Um, like, it, are we going to actually get a still? Are we or are, are we just going to be doing more of the rectifying with, uh, you know, bringing in bulk, uh, bulk uh, um, spirits that our clients have selected and uh, barrel aging them to, to what they want to do, uh, and then blending them into their RTDs. Um, so we'll cross that bridge in 24. All right, excellent. So tunnel pasteurizer, I could
1: see that as being a very important. Uh, part of the equation if you can't control uh, the entirety of the cold chain as you're going along and just have that safety uh, measure. uh, I've seen products that have gone into cans that if they weren't pasteurized, would turn them into a little grenade. So uh, very important to have some safety there. uh, And uh, excellent. Uh, Thanks for sharing. Uh, Matt. um, Uh, All right.
4: So so on so that subject. Um, we do the bath pasteurizations. We haven't had the space um, or the inclination to do the tunnel pasteurizer. So right away, I'm jealous on that one. So we, we actually dump into a hot tank. Um, we'll use a hot liquor tank to bring it up to the right temperature. We have the probe to make sure it got the right pasteurization units. So just by default, we've been doing that for all of the beer and the mead that we can. So we're um, canning a bunch on a, a, a nice little canner for us. Um, and then pasteurizing that afterwards. And it works for both the beer and mead. Um, from the mead side, we've been able to use a lot of the brew tanks, the stout tanks for uh, both the beer and the mead um, as, as we go through the stages. I guess the only difference on the mead side, um, I make um, a batch of about 300 gallons and we ferment that in plastic totes. Um, so mead's a good one just to do the uh, ferment in the tote. And then the unit tanks, I'll use it just for the beer and also, crash in the mead so that the, um, the yeast flocks out or uh, flocculates out. Um, for the most part, it, it's, a, it's in a small, um, uh, small brewery area that we're able to just basically draw the circle from the raw ingredients. Um, the beer tanks are first and then the mead from there. And then the other thing we have is the bottling line. Right now, everything is manual, so it's a small shop, but um, we've got products filled and we're able to distribute both the beer and the mead um, to local restaurants, as well as um, you know wine stores and things like that. A totally different process, but luckily we're able to use the same equipment for the beer and the mead with a few exceptions. Excellent. Now, now, Matt, are you doing uh, just cans or are you cans and bottles? Cans and bottles. So on the mead side, the traditional mead is all bottled. Um, I have to use a lenticular filter for that, and we go from a uh, filter at five different times down to a 0.35 just to make sure all the yeast is out before it goes in the bottle. Um, so that's about the only thing that um, it's a little bit different. But, yep, we have cans for both the beer and the mead, and the mead, traditional mead comes in bottles.
1: So a great beverage, but it sounds like a good amount of manual labor going into it.
4: <laughs> yep. Yeah. It, um, same crew does all three of them, too. So, um, you know, we've got canning person, um, bottling person, and then they all help with the brew days as well. Well, I'm sure your customers
1: appreciate that. Um, yeah. Traven, do you, you want to uh, pop in here? And, uh,
5: and yeah, do I have to repeat the question or I know. We're no, not- you're good. You're good. We're uh, you know, we're kind of the same like the meads and stuff. We we haven't done any bottling or packaging as far as, you know, canning yet. Um, But we hope to, but we'll be doing the same, you know, filtration process and everything. Um, Really, the only other equipment that we have that um, we use a little different is we have a coffee cold brew tank that we put 100 pounds of ground up coffee um, and, you know, set it for anywhere from 15 to 24 hours, depending where it's cold crashing um, to make our cold brew, um, you know, which we've had we have a bigger industrial size grinder to grind up all the fresh whole beans. Um, you know, we, our roaster gets twice as much use and twice as much work whenever we do it. Um, cause not only the cold brew that we do currently, but we also do a beer that's about half cold brew and half of like a base cream, all cream, ale type recipe. Um, so, you know, we, we make the cold brew for it and then it's batched into a tote. And then when we're ready to brew, it goes into the beer as we're brewing. Um, so it's it's a little different. And that beers is a little more labor intensive because you got to plan ahead enough to do your you know coffee a few days in advance and get it. Um, but luckily, you don't have to filter the coffee as you do when we're going to kegs or things like that because it's going to the beer, so it'll drop out. Right.
1: Um,
5: so it's it's a little less work on that side of it. But um, you know, we've even played with our espresso machines in the brewery and doing some adding some to beers and things just for fun, but mm. haven't done much on that side of it. Cause that gets to pulling a lot of espresso shots, a lot of shots when you yeah. start scaling up like that. So, yeah, but. but for the most part, we just, we make things work and use, um, you know, we ferment out even our meads. When we do them, we ferment them out in the unit tanks, let mm. them finish in there um and go through a little bit of filtration and stuff with them but you know being kegs we we've not ran into much issue with that yet so
1: yeah it sounds like the the majority of you're using mostly the original equipment like you said the, the pasteurization becomes a huge part of it uh, with the packaging uh, uh, requiring a separate piece of equipment but um uh, thank you thanks for sharing all um my next question is: How do you use the beverages aside from beer to, to attract new customers? Maybe even into your beer. Um, you know, having those those other uh, options there. Um, what what you're seeing from your customers there, and um, it, you know, even demographic. I think one thing I brought up earlier is that you had your age old uh, loyal beer drinker for forever. And now you have kind of a newer generation that's looking for exciting new flavors. Um, that is looking for always something new. Uh, it's a challenge and uh, a challenge that I think, uh, breweries like yourselves are, are just, uh, stepping up to, to, to try and, uh, uh, handle and, uh, and keep that segment of the market. So, uh, Phil, can you want to
2: pop in? Sure. Um, I think I saw a lot of the the shift starting from the the uh, explosion of seltzers and all the fruity flavors, and them mostly being in the you know four to six percent range uh, alcohol wise, um, and when those when craft brewers tried to jump on the seltzer. Train and some of them were successful, some of them not so much. Um, but what they gained out of it was customers that were they were able to see the profile of a different beer that the customers wanted to um, to purchase. And so, um, to make their tap list more approachable, they would do lighter styles um, and do some either fruit infusions uh, or somehow blend in some flavors that, that uh, were more appealing uh, to a non-traditional beer drinker. Um, and that, you know, kind of has rolled into the diversification of different products available, like the, all the different flavors that we're getting now with both hard and, and non alcoholic kombuchas and, and so forth. So um, I blame seltzer.
1: <laughs> Excellent. All right um paul do you have anything you want to add to
3: that or is that is that pretty much sum it up i mean you know phil's he's pretty much the expert on these things the only thing i would uh i would really add to that is just in the you saw the you know it it did like you said it went from seltzer and then you know shortly after you saw kombucha started to really come in but as Bill was also mentioning earlier, now those com- same kombucha companies are making their similar product, but rebranding it as like a spiked seltzer or a living seltzer, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or a hard living seltzer or some combination of these, you know, words. So I think we are still seeing that evolution grow as they are still expanding you know what clients they're catching, and they're and they're evolving to understand what is it that the uh, the customer is looking for. And I think at the same time, the customer is still trying to find what it's looking for. Right. So there's a bit of a of a back and forth evolution that is occurring. I, I think that's well said. They're they're still trying to figure out what they're looking
1: for. Um, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of innovation happening right now and just trying to keep on top of all that is, is, is what about
6: trend. uh you know there's a big trend uh towards low and non-alcoholic uh are you guys seeing the demand for that are you planning yeah. for that trend for sure um there i mean everyone's heard
2: of athletic but i mean there's a, a handful of uh breweries that are trying out um the non alc beer I think it's very similar to when Seltzer's came out where there's different methods to do it. And people are trying, you know, trying to figure out where their sweet spot is for their uh, uh, particular brewery uh, on how to approach these. Um, And, you know, same with like the hop waters, Uh, those are, you know, growing by leaps and bounds. Um, and, And so, yeah, it's just, I, I, yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of opportunities there for all those different products—the non alks the, the mm-hmm. lower ABVs, uh, whether it's beer or I mean, there's non alk wine and non alk spirits. Um, so there's lots lots of uh, uh, there's a big shift towards that. I would say. Yeah, and yeah, we have gotten requests to to see if we could produce those here from clients, for clients.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Phil. Um, Matt, with with regards to where you're at, you had, you said you were on the wine trail, right? (laughs) uh, That, that your product probably, uh, comes along and and really works as that entryway. Um, maybe tell us a little about what you see there with that. Sure.
4: I think that, um, people are searching, somebody brought up like diversity and product. And I think that's what helps us because um, we sell a lot in the tap room. That's majority of the product uh, base that we sell out the door. Um, while they're here, they'll buy bottles and six packs. Um, but what I've noticed is kind of uh, they the customers will come in and say, what do you have that's different? Or I was here last month, is there anything new? And so they always want to try something new. And so we try and have that uh, on board. We have our regular cores that are in distribution and that people know and they like those particular ones. So the regulars will come in and drink only one particular brand or product. Um, other ones come in and, you know, the flights, so they'll come in and try four different meads or four different beers, um, and then they'll find one that they like. And it, it's, we're in a situation where a lot of tourists come up um, for the Georgia Wine Highway, and I'll have, um, you know, like imagine a group of church ladies, they're all dressed, you know, they came over from, you know, Sunday mass, And then they're sitting next to a table with, you know, a a group of bikers that are out on twisty roads as well. So it's real diverse. And they they each come and they like the product that they're that they're trying, uh, whether it's the wine, whether it's the beer. Um, What I have noticed is that the trend towards the heavy, high IBU, um, you know, the the strong beer, extreme beers, uh, those don't sell well anymore, at least in this area. So they're going for the lighter ABVs. Um, our session meat is slightly carbonated and it's 5% alcohol. We tell them it's like an adult juice box and they light up and they love it. Um, so it, it pretty much varieties. Um, we recently implemented mead slushies. And so on Thursday night, when the younger crowd comes in and, and plays trivia, slushies are going, you know, just like crazy. So we've got um, mead slushies now and they want to know what are the flavors, you know, what's, what's new on that one. Um, so we try and give them, various choices that they can have as well as the cores that they know are always around. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I can't imagine that during this, during the heat that you're experiencing down there,
5: yep. it's gotta be just a, a big hit. So awesome.
1: They,
4: they light up. Yep.
5: Thanks Matt. Traven. Yeah, we're, you know, we're kind of the same as, as Matt was saying, you know, we're a pretty big tourist area and we get tons of people coming, ATV riding, hiking, um, scenic byways, all that. So, Um, we get, we get a big diversity of it and we get a lot of people that come in in the morning, you know, find out we have coffee, really good coffee. And then they're, you know, excited to find out that, you know, we have beer, food, everything. Um, so I mean, we get, we get a huge diversity from it and we have, um, I think it helps having a lot of the different stuff because we get people, uh, that come in at lunch for business meetings, you know, and sit down and have coffees and lemonades and teas and stuff. But then they enjoy it so much, they'll come back that afternoon or, you know, the weekend or something and have a beer, watch, you know, uh, performers, things like that. So we do, we get, we see a bunch of that. Um, We don't see as much of the, um, like the low ABV stuff. Um, The stuff like sub 5% will sit on our wall 10 times longer than an 8 or 9, which, you know, we kind of always figured would be the opposite, but you know, like your you can't go wrong, your light loggers, things like that. Like those those always move pretty well. Um, long as they're good ones that we've done. Um, but yeah, our like our stouts and our porters are probably the most consistent, not the most movement, but they always stay consistent, even summer, winter. Um we started doing a while back some like hard lemonades. Um, we released one a few months ago that's Carny Man. It's a cotton candy lemonade that's about 6%, and we can't make enough of it to keep up with hardly, uh, much less when we start canning, um, cause we do, uh, we just installed some 15 barrel fermenters to help with that, hopefully. Um, but yeah, we, we see a huge diversity in there and have people that come in and, you know, even they don't drink or anything, but yet they can still come in and get coffee with, you know, their friend and sit down with it while they have a beer or things like that. So it's we we see a lot of it and you never know what's going to be the it thing that day or that week. So it's just trying to keep up and stay with it. And hopefully figure it out and stay ahead and have enough.
1: Well, it sounds like you're getting them at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, which is. Yeah,
5: great. we we're we're open from seven in the morning until 10 at night, six days a week. Nice. At least. So, um, so, thank you, thank you, uh, going back to
1: what Phil said, he blames it all on seltzer. Um, I, I have to admit, uh, when seltzers first came out, I, I was researching and looking, uh, at least in my state, trying to read a document that explained, uh, the legalities of of seltzer and and what licensing you needed in order to do it, and I was more confused after reading it than when I first started, especially since it talks about where the sugars are derived and how you have to have fifty percent of your uh, sugars coming from grain or or fruit. Or uh, if you're not sure, then you have to get a distiller's license. <laughs> uh, all sorts of different things that are involved in it. But um, I think it brings up the question of uh, you all are pioneers getting involved in multiple craft beverages, uh, keeping the, the masses happy with different flavors. How hard was the navigation of uh, your legalities there with your state? I know each state is drastically different um uh, i mean going to matt's uh, situation saying oh it took an extra two years um just hearing a little bit from each of you on what what you've gone through what you foresee as maybe your state's going to change because uh these beverages are becoming more and more popular they can't make it so hard for people to get involved with them so um uh, same order i'll start with phil
2: yeah it, it is um to navigate uh just the licensing process alone, let alone uh, what you're allowed to do with each license uh, is is a lot to ask. Um, We have a really active uh, guild um, that is, we're in San Francisco, so that's fairly close to Sacramento where the state guild is also um, um, housed. So we have a good relationship with the CCBA. Um, Our, our guild, uh, has over 150 breweries involved, and the, the knowledge base there. Uh, if someone doesn't know the answer, um, the, the CCBA is, you know, very helpful. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a web that you gotta get through, <laughs> and uh, knowing exactly what you can do um, in California, we are fairly. Um, Easy to the alcohol uh, industry is fairly easy to navigate. We've got a lot of benefits and and uh, opportunities that other states um, just I don't know how they exist without I didn't know I don't know how we would exist without the opportunities that we have through our licenses um, and being in another state that would that would be very hard. Um, yeah, so it's it's a constant conversation with your uh, associations that you're with, whether that's on a regional level, a state level and even the national level. Um, and the big push out here is to get uh, equal rights that a winery can do for the different industries. So it's like wineries, uh, for example, the like California wineries. Um, they, it was just inherent with their license that they could have direct-to-consumer shipping. Mm-hmm. It was a, it's been a battle for breweries to be able to do that. It took a pandemic for, for it to really um, push forward. Um, so instances like that. Um, and then the, the what types of beverages you can uh, produce under what license. Um, there was a lot of breweries that were... I, I I think at a conference, the, the ABC said that they did like not really a um, uh, an operation to um, get people in trouble, but they just did basically a survey operations up and down the state where I believe they visited close to 150 breweries and about 120 of them were using fruit in their beers that... They weren't allowed to do like it was it's an automatic $10,000 fine if, if they wanted to do it. Uh, but they were just if that were they were doing a fact finding mission to figure out, is it something that what the breweries are talking about of not being able to produce cider? Is it a real thing? And obviously, you know, with the passing of the bill that allows breweries to do ciders beginning in January, it was a real thing. Yeah. And, and I, I might chime in on that. The
1: brewery I worked at. Uh, early days, CIDR, um, we had contemplated doing a separate facility just for the CIDR. Uh, in the end, the idea was that that area would change into a distribution cooler area for warehousing. Uh, we were still able to utilize alternating premise um, in order to do cider, but you had to take a picture of it entirely through the entire process, document it stringently in order to make sure that uh, that that they knew what was being taxed, how, uh, it was a very time consuming process to, so to see some of those laws evolve and hopefully become easier for these, uh, cross beverage, uh, opportunities for, for brewers, uh, for meateries, for, for wineries, for, for everyone, uh, I think is, is a great thing. So, um, excellent.
3: Uh, Paul, do you want to add to any of that or no? I mean, Phil covered that really in depth. Um, yeah, I think he did a really great job. The only other thing I would, I would really add to that is the, you know, with it growing, the TTB, the ABC, and, and these guilds, what I have found interesting about all of these networks is that they're all in it together. So they all know each other very well, the, you know, the TTB, the ABC and the, and the, you know, the Brewers Guilds and associations. They all know each other and they're all pulling for the same thing. And I thought that it was very interesting to find that the people who you're, you're calling who are supposed to be, you know, regulating this are also, you know, really working side by side with you to actually figure out how to accomplish what you're out to do inside of the regulation and they're part and partial sometimes even kind of discovering or figuring out for themselves how the law actually works as written as lived are two different things and Mm -hmm. so they're not that's not this lumbering bureaucracy above you that is out to prevent you from you know doing anything Mm -hmm. at least not here in california from what i've seen they're they're side by side with you
1: yeah and i i've seen that um uh, the regional one for the Northwest has been very helpful. Uh, it might change geographically where you're at, but I think the ultimate goal is uh, that they are there to help you uh, and hopefully you have a good relationship with them.
4: Um, excellent, thank you, Paul. Uh, Matt. All right, uh, I've mentioned a licensing issue that came from the very beginning. We're still having that, but this one's in the city. We opened up a restaurant and wanted to serve our beer in the city did not know um, how to license us as a manufacturer. Um, If we wanted to sell basically other as a retail, they had that, but um, as a manufacturer of beer, it's been more difficult recently. So that's our current dilemma we're still going under. I will point out that um, one of the biggest things is uh, since we're a brewery and a meadery, we have a farm license and a brewing license. Um, Everything I do on the mead side I, ha- I have a sales guy that can literally self-distribute it to local restaurants, um, to liquor stores. So as a farm winery, the state of Georgia, I should preface that. So this is Georgia and it's a three-tier system. But on the farm winery side, the state of Georgia allows you to self-distribute as a farm winery. So I can take okay. kegs um, to restaurants. I can have them take six packs. Um, we can take bottles. We've got it at all the local stores on the meat side. That same keg that sits next to a beer keg that my team still does on the same equipment that we make the mead. I have to run that through a distributor. And the distributor is about 30, 40 miles away. And he's delivering to a restaurant that's two miles from us. So it's a little bit backwards. Same kegs. One hand, I can do the mead. The other one, I got to hand to a distributor. And then you get the markup and then the delays and everything else. So um, it's a constant struggle. The guild has been trying to do the Georgia Brewers Guild Um, We sat down with our uh, actually the Senate Majority Leader and told them, hey, this is what our problem is all up and down the northern part of the state that he specifically represents in Georgia. We've had the same thing where little breweries are popping up in small rural towns and the distributor has to come from a major metropolitan area to pick up their beer to deliver it in a local restaurant. um, Challenging still continues. We even had one um, local brewery that moved um, to Tennessee just over the border. So it was close enough for him that he can uh, bypass the Georgia three-tier system um, and get somewhere where it's easier for him because it's distributing a lot. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the Georgia laws will change soon on that. Yeah,
1: and and we're seeing that a lot, uh, that there is new legislature being put in, especially in the Southeast. Uh, I was recently in South Carolina very similar situation where they're pushing in order to get these self distribution for small breweries. It's very hard for a small brewery uh, to get involved in the distribution game uh, to begin with, let alone with prohibitive laws uh, going against it. So we can only hope that they uh, uh, evolve and uh, allow you guys to uh, eventually self-distribution.
6: Now, Matt, you, you said you, uh, you had to wait quite a while to get the brewing license. Was that ever a thought that maybe you wouldn't get it? And did you have like a contingency plan?
4: Uh, no, it was always just part of it. Um, the original founder you know, started with home brewing, and just like a lot of people are like, I can homebrew, I can do this commercially. So he really wanted to start with that, but he needed the source of income for the equipment and things. So it was always on the mind. Um, it just took the state of Georgia a little bit to get that. So, we're going to go through with it, become a brewery. Uh, same thing with the restaurant. We're just going to continue on um, you know, having people try to change what uh, is, in this case, the city uh, ordinances to allow us to sell there, but there's always a plan. In fact, um, I think some of you mentioned like distilling licenses, so in the back of our minds, that'll be the next thing that we do as well, but we've got a lot of stuff to tackle right now. So we'll be doing the, the distilling it in the future. Excellent, thank you, Matt. Traven.
0: Yeah.
1: You want to chime in on this one, and then I'd like to hopefully leave the last 10 minutes for one more question for you all.
5: For sure. Yeah, uh, when we initially started um, the brewery side, it was it was a nightmare because it was brand-new legislation um, that no one knew. It was just kind of someone wrote it up, and, and it wasn't wrote up great. Um, and we were the first ones to get all our ducks in a row and get it started. Um, so we were the first dry-county, private club, microbrewery restaurant in the state. Um, So when we were dealing with like the ABC and stuff, we're like, Hey, can we do this? And they're like, no, well, uh, I don't know. And, or they'd say, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, your rules here say that we can. They're like, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, so we had a lot of back and forth like that. I mean, they, they worked with us great and we, we got it figured out eventually. Um, But since we went wet, you know, we had a, a really smooth, easy transition to, you know, a real microbrewery now. Um, and Arkansas has recently passed legislation to allow microbreweries to do RTDs and to self-distribute also up to 5,000 barrels a year. Um, and that actually takes effect like tomorrow, I believe. Oh, wow, um, Today or tomorrow. And so we can distribute to all of our local restaurants, uh liquor stores, gas stations, things like that. Um, which before with it and having to go through distribution, we have a we have a restaurant just across the street, like literally just across the street from us, that if they wanted one of our kegs, it had to go on a truck with a distributor, go an hour and a half away, be put at their warehouse, come back an hour and a half, and then be sold to them when I can walk across the road in three minutes with it. You know, um so that that was a bunch of the Thing, headache with it, which that's been changed now, um, finally goes into effect with the, the self-distro also. Um, and plus with us being in such a rural area, we just don't get much or see much help currently. Um, and with just go into a wet County that made a huge difference. You know, we actually have distributors coming to us now instead of us having to chase them. Um, but the, the legal side of it has been, challenging to say the least because um, we're still in the in the process of trying to figure out with the rtds what we can even do how we have to go about it um you know if we're if are we able to distill or do we just have to bring um you know totes of stuff in or um how that's going to play out in the future and you know we're we're a ways from doing that but we're just trying to get that figured out legally how we have to go about doing that um so that's kind of our current hurdles and things, but
1: having we'll the keep. that you do, you have great opportunity there. So, uh, um, yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be easy to navigate when the time comes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we got about 10 minutes left. I just wanted to, um, get each one of you up, maybe talking about these craft beverages, these, uh, new and exciting flavors. Maybe you had to learn a little something. Maybe there was a, a product that you thought was gonna be real difficult that actually isn't very hard. what what is um, um, uh, real quick, you know, maybe two minutes each. Um, the easiest product that you've done that maybe you thought was hard, and then uh, your favorite, your your favorite, maybe like what is the uh, the most attractive product that you have right now that that people are going for?
2: So Phil. Oh, uh, I would say the easiest product. Um, it's not. It's definitely not my favorite product. The mm-hmm. easiest product is um, seltzer. Right. <laughs> that, that is. That oh, is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can knock out three hundred barrels of seltzer in eight hours. <laughs> It'd be yeah. Quite easy. Um, favorite product is taking uh like delicate styles like a uh like a rustic saison or something and barrel aging it uh and seeing that product evolve uh over the time like if you or like like making like a solera project out of it or something uh where you start with um you know one barrel uh with some microbes in it and each year you you, you drain that barrel and then the the dregs uh, you drain it to about like 10, 10 gallons left and you know five gallons goes into the next barrel and it inoculates and you keep on uh, going down the line each year you have a anniversary beer and and something fun that evolves and can point out point back to a certain time like whether you it was the first beer you brewed or uh, something for your anniversary or whatever it is I, those are the type of projects that I like that's cool. Yeah, and I'm sure that that,
1: that barrel-age Saison uh, imparts a very high level of sophistication for the uh, the wine-drinking crowd in, in the area where you're at, you know, out in the Napa sure. Valley and whatnot, yeah. so uh, very neat. All right, excellent. Um, I'm
4: gonna move on here. Uh, Matt? Uh, okay. Um, I guess the, the easiest thing is um, just a standard beer with Kvike yeast. I mean, that one's quick, easy, get, get it done. Um, and then I want to go into what we do with the barrel aging, because that one's um, caused a, a lot of, it's caused problems in the past, but it's also been huge sellers. Um, we have the anniversary coming up in October, so we try and release two beers, uh, two meads. We've got um, a peach cobbler barrel aging mead, um, a granny's apple that's aging in apple brandy barrels, and those require some attention to it. It's also one where you have to keep on top of the flavor profiles and make sure that it's doing what you want it to do. Um, one of the things that we enjoy doing, um, it's, it requires some collaboration, but um, we partnered with a local tourist um, chocolate place and made a what we call Happy Camper. It's toasted marshmallows, it's like a s'mores beer, um, using that local, re- lo- local um, chocolatier's product. And so it ties together the small little town where they can go and buy chocolate from him, and then the beer that we do um, once a year with, with as well. But I think the the barrel aging, we had at least one where it picked up um, off flavors, um, and the beer just didn't do well, and <laughs> to dump it, we've all experienced that. So those are kind of the difficult things, usually in the barrel aging process. Um, the other thing that we like to do is you know creativity with the slushy machines. I have got um, college kids that work here that um, I, I give them the – uh, the ability just to come up with a recipe, be creative. And, um, it kind of covers all generations and, um, those have been a big seller. So creativity is the fun part as well.
1: Excellent. Thank you, man. I, I think that's an important thing, bringing in, uh, a, a larger, uh, diverse group, uh, letting them get involved in it. I think is huge for that. Um, you never know where your next flavor is going to come from. Uh, Traven.
5: Yeah. Our, uh, easiest and probably like prettiest that kind of draws people's attention is the the cotton candy hard lemonade because it's super bright pink and it's one of those if you're at a festival or something and you pour one people are coming over and like i i want the bright pink stuff that's it you know and and that was one we come up with it was just something we're like you know what let's throw cotton candy at this and see what it does and then it just took off um
4: draven I'm, I'm so stealing that for a mead flavor i wrote it down already
5: Thank hey <laughs> go for it. it it has done phenomenal um and it's it's super easy and that's you know it's basically a seltzer so you know like phil said we can you can crank those out easy it's not my favorite to make but that's the one that you know stays consistent and does a lot and pays the bills so we'll go with it um some of our our hardest one is probably our rising grind which is the um half cold brew, um, and half beer. Um, and it's not necessarily difficult. It's just because of the amount of, uh, cleaning and prep time and things like that, you know, roasting and grinding and, um, setting up the cold brew, cleaning those tanks, everything like that. Um, we've done a few barrel age things. Um, we haven't got into that a whole lot. That's kind of one of our hopes for the future is to get a good barrel program going and stuff. Um, but yeah, those, the, the ones where we just do something wild, you know, we, we use a bunch of the Kvikes. It's one of my favorites just cause it's so aggressive and hearty. Um, you don't have to worry about it near as much. So we use that in several beers just cause it, it throws some really cool flavors and stuff. And that's, we do a lot of playing and mixing and just kind of seeing what comes out and if it's good or not. And if it sells or not, mostly if we like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you all are working very hard to uh, to keep those flavors exciting. And I I do appreciate each and every one of you uh, taking the time to contribute to this talk. Uh, I want to thank craft beer professionals for having us on. The content is just uh, wonderful. Uh, Having a forum like this where we can uh, exchange ideas and just uh, have discussions like this and uh, all the sponsors who who bring about this content. So uh, thank you all again. I appreciate all of your yeah, input. Thanks, everybody. And, uh, I don't know. Hopefully, we're going to have to do, do the tour, and and if I ever find myself in any of your areas, I have to taste these wonderful uh, drinks that you're talking about. Cotton candy out in uh, Arkansas. You know, we got uh, we got those barrel aged saisons out in the Bay Area, and uh, you know, with, uh, with the peach cobbler uh, anniversary style that we're going to have out there in uh, in the each state. So. Thanks again, everybody. I appreciate all your help. And, thank
5: you
3: all.
1: See uh, you all again. Thank you. No, yeah, thank good you. one. Enjoy. Take it. care.
3: Thank you for listening and being an important part of our community. Please hit the subscribe button to stay on top of more sessions that can help you grow as a craft beer professional. And join us for more conversations in our community on Facebook. We appreciate you. Cheers.